Hi, and welcome to the first proper episode of Being Heard or Making Good Trouble. My name is Darian Wilson, and I'm going to take this first episode to introduce myself and tell y'all how I got started protesting, as well as why I chose the spot I went every day and some of the varying reactions I received while I was out with my Black Lives Matter sign. It was Sunday, May 31st, 2020, and I was just sitting on my ass in my apartment in Macon, Georgia, scrolling through various social media, looking at all of the pain and the hurt across the country following the recent unjust deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Aubrey. I had started a few days prior talking to my coworkers at Chick-fil-A on Tom Hill Sr. about what happened to them and what was going on across the country in response to the events surrounding their deaths, because many of my coworkers hadn't heard about what happened, or they were just unaware of the beginning of nationwide unrest that would follow George Floyd's death. I even went as far as writing down some facts on a whiteboard in the back of the store regarding the events around his death and the protest in response to his unjust murder by Derek Chauvin. Well, this particular Sunday, there was a protest scheduled to happen in Rosa Parks Square, not far from my apartment, and when I saw it on Facebook, I got up, I tore the sides off of a box to make a couple signs, and I made my way towards the park. I walked there because it wasn't more than a few blocks away from my apartment, and it gave me the opportunity to hold up my signs to passing motorists on the way there. One side of my sign reading, Black Lives Matter, and the other said, I will be heard or I will be dead. The point of the second sign, I hadn't quite figured out how to verbalize what it meant to me, but I knew that I could, I would figure it out. When I arrived at the park, I actually ran into a few friends of mine from high school that had seen the same post on Facebook and felt how I did and joined the protest. After the scheduled events for the protest, a few speeches from local figureheads, and a few songs sung. I didn't know what I wanted to do with the rest of my day, but I knew that I didn't want to go home yet. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be heard. I wanted people to know that we see what's happening across the country, and we know what's right, and those two things aren't lining up. So a friend of mine from high school and a few of his friends joined me in my effort to continue to be heard after the protest ended, so we decided to walk around downtown with our signs. As we were walking around, we were trying to figure out a place that would have consistent traffic on a Sunday so we could be as visible as possible, and we realized that we were all located pretty close to Tattnall Square Park, so we headed that way. Once we got to the park, we decided to set up in the roundabout, that way anyone going through the traffic circle would see us and our message for a positive change. This choice for visibility led to the first of many negative responses in the form of a man shouting white power at us and threatening one of the people that was with us. I wasn't in the circle the first time that he went by and shouted his hateful feelings towards us. I was down the road a bit getting some boxes out of my car, but I heard the exchange between him and my friends in the circle so I knew that something was up, and when he started speeding back into the circle like he was going to drive into them, I started chasing him with a bat from my car. Luckily, he pulled into the circle and apologized to them and then sped off. Undeterred by this, we stayed in the traffic circle for a few more hours until the early evening, 
And we discussed how many people we thought it would take to fill the circle if we invited people to join us. We made the goal for a hundred people in the circle the next Sunday standing with us. And I had no idea when I first got off the couch that afternoon to tear apart a box and make my first signs that I was beginning a journey that would be more than a year in the making, including a couple features in the local newspaper, various news interviews, and a whole lot of people yelling at me. That following Monday morning, I got up and I wanted to go out with my signs again, but I didn't know where I would go because I knew I'd be by myself. But I decided on my church, Martha Bowman, because I knew that intersection got pretty busy, so I would be seen. And I felt safe there because I knew I had people in the church that cared about me and had my back. I stood out for about four hours until I had to get ready for work, and when I was at work headed inside, I decided to take my signs in with me. I did this because more people at work had been talking about my writings on the whiteboard, and I wanted to show that I wasn't just coming in the store and running my mouth, but I was living it out and trying to be an example. Before I even made it into the store with my signs, I was stopped by my boss, the owner and operator of my Chick-fil-A, David Clark. We had had some discussions prior to this about my writings on the whiteboard, especially following his erasing the black from Black Lives Matter off of the whiteboard, but he didn't want me taking my signs inside and wanted me to be careful about the way that I presented things, and he didn't want anyone to feel unsafe or uncomfortable in their workplace, and I agreed and explained to him that what I was doing wasn't meant to be taken in a threatening or aggressive manner, but hopefully to be seen from a place of hurt and hope for the future. He was concerned about my sign that read, I will be heard or I will be dead, and that that would possibly be taken as aggression, and I agreed to leave that one in my car for the time being, still proudly walking through the drive through to get inside, displaying my Black Lives Matter sign. Tuesday morning, I woke up feeling bold and still upset about being censored at work, so I wanted to go somewhere that would have even more traffic so I would be seen. So I went to the shops at River Crossing and posted up at the center intersection in the middle of the mall with my Black Lives Matter sign until security came and asked me to leave, so I headed back to my house to shower and get ready for work again. I had decided while I was out that I was going to explain the sign that David didn't want in the store, and I was going to explain that my sign wasn't a threat and it wasn't meant to scare anyone, but it was more of a cry for help, so I changed the whiteboard in the store again. I left the store after closing that night, and the whiteboard read, I want a chance to tell everyone my mantra, not only because it's the nine words I currently live my life by, but it also has a powerful message that needs to be heard. I personally am so tired of seeing the systematic oppression and murder of black people across this country and around the world that I have to do something. I have to make my voice heard. We want justice. We want cops to be held accountable for their actions. We want to feel served and protected rather than hunted and murdered. We want justice. We want justice for George Floyd. We want justice for every protester that's been shot, beaten, maced, gassed, or arrested. I will continue to speak out and fight injustice until I see change. My mantra isn't meant to be threatening or aggressive. If anything, it's sad and a plea for help. 
It's similar, but so much more than give me liberty or give me death. Because I don't want death. I want change. And they will hear what I have to say, or they will kill me like they have so many before me who sought justice and equality. I'm not asking you a question. I'm telling you. Black lives matter. And that's why my mantra is, I will be heard or I will be dead. When Wednesday morning came, I still hadn't decided if I was going to pick a single spot in Macon or just keep moving around with my sign to different spots each day. But that morning, I was headed back to my store to stand on the sidewalk out front and let anyone that passed by know that Black Lives Matter. I stood out in front of the store for about five hours before getting my uniform from the car and clocking in for my shift. I was sharing with my coworkers all the different reactions that I got from people from being told to get a job and being called a communist to people coming out to stand with me or bringing me water and snacks. Throughout the week, I had been inviting coworkers, church members, people that came out to stand with me, and really anyone who would listen to the protest I was putting together on Sunday in hopes to fill the Tattnall Square roundabout. I made an event on Facebook, called it Filled the Circle, and it seems as though we would get a pretty good turnout and hopefully fill the circle as planned. I started putting plans together and gathering necessary supplies such as some coolers for drinks, snacks, sunscreen, and first aid kits just to be safe. Thursday morning came and I decided I would stand in front of the other store that David Clark owned on Bass Road. I knew that that store would have my back as my own store would, so there weren't many nerves for the different location, and I was starting to think that I would just move around making with my sign. I stood out for a couple hours and got more disapproving reactions and remarks than positive ones before heading to work on Tom Hill. The next morning came and it was a lot different. I still wanted to go out with my sign, but I would change what my sign said for the first time. My sign read, Brianna Taylor would have been 27 today, because June 5th would have been her 27th birthday. I went out that morning to a different Chick-fil-A just because the past two days I'd stood in front of Chick-fil-A's and I figured why break the pattern. I struggled that morning because not only did I think about how I was 20 at the time and what it would mean not to make it to my 27th birthday, but one of my older sister's birthday was the following day. And so I was thinking about how I would possibly try and handle it if something like that happened to any of my sisters. And I'll never forget, I had just stopped crying and I thought I'd pulled myself together when I had a lady walk up to me and ask if she could give me a hug. And I'd had people come up to me while I was out with my sign, but usually just to talk to me for a minute or stand with me for a little while. But this lady walked up and said that she had driven past and seen me and she wanted to come back and give me a hug. And at that point, I realized that I was much less pulled together than I thought I was as I broke down in tears in this stranger's hug. And I don't remember if I told her my name or if she gave me hers, but that was a moment that not only will I carry with me for the rest of my life, but a memory that helped me stand strong on those days that I stood alone. After a few more hours out in front of the other Chick-fil-A, I decided to head home and enjoy the rest of my day off. However, that didn't last long as I went back out in front of my Chick-fil-A on Tom Hill for a few hours and, unbeknownst to me, would have my first news interview. 
about an hour or so after I got out with my sign, I had a few people who had come to join me and we saw a van for 13 WMAZ, a local news channel, pull into the Chick-fil-A parking lot. And immediately the people with me and I started talking about if they were coming to see us or just coming for food. And as we saw the news anchor rolling her camera bag down the sidewalk towards us, our questions were answered. I did my best to plan what I was going to say in the interview, and I was able to say what I wanted, that I was fed up with what was happening and I was ready to fight for a change. And I was even able to tell them about the protest I had planned for Sunday to fill the circle. Saturday morning came, and I was fired up and ready for Sunday. After having my protest mentioned on the evening news and my friends sharing the event on Facebook, I had all the confidence in the world that we would have enough people to fill the circle. So I got up that morning, and I used that energy to head back out in front of my store. And I was out for about four and a half hours before I went into work and continued to invite everyone at work that night to my protest the following day. Sunday morning finally came and I couldn't have felt more ready. I had snacks, water, Gatorade, mask, posters, markers, and first aid kits ready to go, waiting for the time to come. A few hours before the protest was set up, I called the sheriff's office on my mother's suggestion to give them a heads up about what was going on and that there would be people in the middle of the traffic circle. And they did send a couple deputies down to check on us for a little bit to make sure that everything was okay and we were staying safe. About half an hour before the protest was supposed to begin, I started moving supplies into the circle and I found the pastor of Centenary United Methodist Church, Eric Maley, and some of his congregation had brought a tent and a couple tables that they set up in the park across from us. I took my first aid kit and one of the coolers, as well as the posters and markers that I'd brought for people to make signs and left it with them. I decided for the protest I was going to change the sign that I held. One side read, I'm black and I'm proud, and the other side, my black life matters. And I chose those for my sign because even though I am fair-skinned, I'm very proud of my black heritage. And I'm sick and tired of seeing my black brothers and sisters live in fear because their skin is a few shades darker than mine. I remember bits and pieces of the protest, but once it began, I was so surprised and overwhelmed by the turnout of the event, as well as the mostly positive responses we received while out. I had my second interview with 13WMAZ and my first interview with WGXA, and after each I looked around for a bit to those standing around me as well as the interviewer to see how I did, because as soon as I finished the interview I couldn't recall what I had said and they all assured me that I did well. One thing I'll never forget was during one of the interviews about an hour or so after the protest began. There was a car that pulled into the park and dropped off a few pretty big boxes at the tent that Centenary had set up. And after I finished the interview, I went to see what they had dropped off, and someone went and bought over a hundred personal pizzas from a local pizza place and anonymously donated them to the protest. That day was so incredible because not only did we hit our goal of 100 people to fill the circle, but we surpassed it with a peak of about 115 people at one time and over 150 people that came in total. 
I'm still so thankful for everyone that came out to that first protest because the support and motivation that I received would help keep me out for the months to come. The following day I got up and I went back to Tom Hill with my Black Lives Matter sign to stand in front of my store again. And I decided that Tom Hill was going to be my spot following a snide comment that was made during a meeting. We were discussing making changes to the way that we ran the drive through and David made a comment about if anyone was opposed to the changes we had discussed that they were welcome to grab some boxes from the back and make signs to go protest the changes. And after I heard him say that, I grabbed my things from the table I was sitting at and I walked out of the meeting and back into the kitchen. I went out in front of Tom Hill every day for three or four hours before heading into work or heading home to get ready for work. And after a couple of weeks out every day in front of Tom Hill and my Sunday protests in Tattnall Square, I found and purchased a rooftop flagpole for my car because I love driving and I'll drive around just for fun or to clear my head if I've had a long day. And my goal was to let everyone know no matter where we are, what day it is, or what time it is, Black Lives Matter. And putting that flag on my car was the perfect way to do it. I also found out through a few friends and people that I met while I was out with my sign that there was a kid in one of Robins about half an hour away doing pretty much the same thing I was. Going out every day, rain or shine, for at least a few hours with a sign that he made to show people that Enough is enough, and cops need to be held responsible for their actions, and should receive just consequences when those actions result in the death of a man who was not a threat to anyone and told Derek Chauvin that he was killing him. So I reached out and got in touch with Hunter and made a plan to drive down to Warner Robins to stand with him and show the people of Warner Robins that he wasn't alone and we weren't going to just go away. The day that I drove down there, we did receive a great bit of support, including five or six people that stopped to stand with us, but we weren't even out for half an hour before we had slurs thrown at us and even someone leaning out of a passing car waving a confederate flag at us. Even with all the hate that I heard and experienced while I was out, the support was so much more. I don't think I had a single day that someone didn't stop to make sure that I had water or gave me some. I had people give me shirts, bracelets, I got a journal with a beautiful note from one family, I got an amazing drawing that someone did from a picture of the first protest that I went to downtown. Uh, someone painted two canvases and gifted them to me, one reading Black Lives Matter and the other with my personal mantra, I will be heard or I will be dead. I also had an incredible interview with Joe Kovac Jr. at the Macon Telegraph that actually made it to the front page of the Sunday paper. And a little side note, I love that interview because Mr. Kovac didn't just come to interview me while I was out, but... He stayed with me almost the entire time that I was out talking to me to get a sense of who I am beyond my protest and to see what some of the reactions I received were like firsthand. Not only did my protesting give me a sense of purpose and a voice, it also empowered me greatly and allowed me to do things I never thought I would, like getting the opportunity to speak to a college class about my experiences and my time protesting. 
since my time in Macon, I moved to Vermont where I did go out with my sign a few times and froze my ass off during the winter. And now I've moved down to Mobile, Alabama, where I intend to pick up where I left off. I've already been around town a few times with my signs, but I've I've found a focus for my protests locally, and I'll dive into that more in the next episode. If you have any questions about my time in Macon or the responses I received or anything at all, don't hesitate to ask. I'm hoping to make this not only a space to keep up with me, but to create a community for people to come together and have those difficult conversations and ask the awkward questions to gain a better understanding without the fear of rejection or ridicule. Once again, my name is Darian Wilson. This is Being Heard, Making Good Trouble, and thank you for listening.